Hello, I'm Harry Glorickian, and this is The Harry Glorickian Show, where we explore how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. LinkedIn meets ZoomInfo meets ZocDoc, but for doctors instead of patients. That's how Ariel Katz describes the information service offered by his company, H1. Katz co-founded H1 in 2017, and he's still the CEO today. And what he's getting at with that description is the fact that the world of healthcare is incredibly fragmented. Before H1, there was no central database or platform that everyone can use to share their professional profiles and get in touch with colleagues. Physicians never adopted LinkedIn for this kind of networking because they just don't switch jobs very often. And because doctors are spread across so many different institutions, there's no central directory where you can just enter a query like, show me all the oncologists in Omaha. That's frustrating, not just for patients, but for doctors themselves, especially those involved in biomedical research, because it makes it hard to find collaborators. And it's an even bigger frustration for drug companies who need to know which doctors can help them enroll the right patients for clinical trials. H1 is trying to solve all those problems. And to do that, it's built what Katz says is probably the world's largest graph database of people in healthcare. Just three years ago, the company was still part of a Silicon Valley startup incubator, Y Combinator, and now it's raised almost 200 million in venture capital. I wanted to bring Ariel on to the show to talk about how H1 has grown so quickly and how better networking can accelerate drug development and help patients find the best doctors for them. Here's our conversation. Ariel, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. It's it, great to have you on. I mean, I've been, you know, trying to wrap my head around all the stuff you guys are doing at, at H1, but I, I want to step back a little bit for everybody that's listening and, you know, just ask you to sort of explain the origin story of, of H1. Maybe you could start by talking first about, you know, how you got interested in the problem of this world of science and healthcare and sort of bringing this data together. You know, I, I if I understand correctly, you started like back when you were in college, some a service not totally dissimilar called research connections yeah and you know if, if you know start back then and bring us to here and sort of what motivated you to start h1 and all the rest of that yeah happy and and it's a good question so i had started research connection way back in the day with the idea the original idea was help get students more involved in research so if you if i ask you a simple question tell me all the latest biotech research going on at harvard right now. Can't tell me. Uh, it would take me a while. Or if I told you, tell me all the um, the new mathematics research going on at Harvard. You, you literally couldn't tell me that. And so we said, that's crazy. These are incredibly important institutions and you can't find out all the research that's going on there. So as a student of Harvard, it's hard for you. If you're trying to do research at Harvard, it's hard for you. And if you want to get a PhD program and you're trying to find out who's doing the top research around the country, it's almost impossible. Um, and you have to click on different websites, read different publications, everything around it. And so that was the initial problem we set out to solve with Research Connection, help get students more involved with research and allow a place for researchers to showcase their research activity. Um, that was cool and that worked. What we quickly learned is researchers wanna work with students when they have funding. 
And so when they have a grant or when they have a grant from industry or government or not-for-profits or whatever. And so we quickly had to learn about how does research get funded? And uh, the trends were obvious. Everyone felt like it took so much time to get funded. Uh, grants from the NIH, which funds about $40 billion a year in research, was like flat or slightly declining. Non-for-profits wasn't growing that much. And industry, pharma, biotech, large corporates was where it needed to be filled. And so we ended up growing Research Connection. We sold it. And then myself and a couple of the guys from the Research Connection team are like, what do we work on next? And uh, some of them wanted to do like um, a website for athletes, social media app. And I was like, I don't know much about anything in this world, but I, I think I'm in the 1% of knowledge around profiling of research activity and understanding how research gets funded. I think I know more than most people in the world about this. So I think if we do this, we would be successful. And that's how it all started. And then I pitched my current co-founder on the idea and he was into it. Now, no retirement, huh? No retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but now you guys, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were also part of Y Combinator, right? Back in 2019? 2020. So we were the COVID batch. Uh, COVID hit while we were in YC. So we were in YC in 2020. YC was a lot of fun. So, so what did you get out of that experience? I mean, you know, you guys were just getting started. YC, I mean, they're all over the place. They're doing bazillions of things. So do you want to hear the story about YC? It's a good story. <laughs> sure. Why not? So the, the VC firm that they'll know who I'm talking about, I won't say their name. So we had, uh, we had a few million bucks in revenue at the time before we joined YC. And we had signed a term sheet with the VC fund. And we were just going over deal docs. They were taking a long time. Um, and they went too long. Uh, which is their mistake. And I had, I was moderating a panel with one of the partners at YC. Like I was the moderator and there's three people in the panel and one was the partner. After that, he came up to me and said, we're not doing a good enough job reaching New York companies. You should be in YC. And I said, no, you're crazy. We're later stage. We're about to sign this series A. And then he emailed me and, call, and we hopped on a call. And he said, you'll get better terms if you come to YC. And I was like, no. We're here, we're later stage. It doesn't make sense. And he said, come out to San Francisco, fill out the application. It'll be worth your while. Um, and that's how we ended up getting into YC. And so we, it was funny. We, they, we filled in the application late. We went out there early. It was a whole thing because we had a certain deadline until the actual deal docs would sign with the term sheet that we had. And so we, we went through this whole maze, but then we decided to go into YC in the end. Well, if the... $13 million Menlo Ventures deal had, they were right. <laughs> they were right. Our term sheet, the one before was at an $18 million post-money valuation. Menlo was more than that. And so they were right. So you guys have raised... $193 million. Yeah, I was trying to do the math here because I'm like, I've got all the numbers here in front of me. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. It was a... 58 million in 2020 and then 100, another 123 million in 2021 and early 2022. Um, that's fast growth. I mean, uh, I guess it begs the question of why'd you need that much money and what are you doing with it? Yeah, you never think you need that much money. So after Menlo's been, Menlo's been a great partner. So when Menlo invested, uh, like five months later, they were like, you're gonna raise your series B very soon. It's like, what are you talking about? You all this money in the bank. You just put all this money. And they're like, no, 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 you don't get it. You're going to want this. 
I said, okay, well, are we going to raise like 20 million bucks? He's like, that's way too little. You don't get it. Uh, ended up raising almost 60. Uh, but we were originally thinking we'd raise $20 million, which I thought was a lot coming up from $13 million. Um, the way that they described it, which is true, it, at, the environment's different now than it was then. But at, at that point in time, they said, with, uh, the, each round, you, you have cards on the table. The more money you have, the more cards you can flip over. Not all cards will work, but sometimes they will. And you right. want to have enough money to do enough experiments to be able to hit what you need to hit to get the milestone for to raise the next round of funding. And so we flipped over a couple cards between our Series A and our Series B, and they worked. And I flipped over a couple more cards between our Series B and Series C. And so these are expansion of product lines, expansions geographically, uh, continue to invest in what our users want. And so a lot of money is put into engineering product and data today. So if I've read correctly, like you describe H1 as sort of a LinkedIn for healthcare, right? And so here's a dumb question, but why isn't LinkedIn the LinkedIn for healthcare? I mean, what, what additional data or features are needed to make the tool that. valuable for your customers? Uh, LinkedIn meets Zoom Info meets ZocDoc for doctors. It's a more accurate description, I would say. Uh, okay. There are two segments that don't use LinkedIn. Doctors, healthcare professionals, and people in entertainment. Why? They don't need a network online. That's not the way right. that they operate. Doctors don't move jobs that often. You generally are like a specialist and you're a pediatrician doesn't become a medical oncologist. Pediatrician's a pediatrician. Uh, people like us, uh, no, we could do whatever we want. I go be in sales, marketing, whatever, and recruiters are reaching out. Recruiters are reaching out to doctors. It's a whole different dynamic. And entertainment's also incredibly different. Entertainment and athletics, very different. Um, Whereas like engineering or marketing or sales or PR, HR, they're very, they're very different. Um, they, they operate very differently, some of those functions. And so doctors don't use LinkedIn as a data point really that often. Um, so that's why LinkedIn, LinkedIn's use cases don't really make sense so much there. Um, what we do is different though. We have a doctor network where doctors can come in and claim their H1 profile, uh, but we also have everything you'd ever want to know about them. And we collect some of that ourselves. A doctor doesn't input it. And then that's used today by patients, by pharma companies, by insurance companies, by hospitals, by health systems. Everyone in the healthcare ecosystem uh, uses H1 today. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it and, you know, it looked like there was a lot of medical affairs, medical science liaisons, you know, you know, just cutting through a lot of this stuff. Can you help? the listeners understand a little bit more about who the product is really aimed at and, you know, what, what is the role uh, your users play inside, you know, their organizations and why do they need your help? I mean, you know, sort of I'll walk you if you were it. doing the pitch. So H1's mission is to connect the world to the right doctors. Uh, we have everything you want to know about every doctor in the world. And so you'd ask yourself, okay, who could use that? Who's that helpful for? Uh, it starts with like, is this the right doctor for me to go see? Or is this the right doctor for me to work with? Who works with doctors? Pharma companies. Uh, so our pharma companies, med device companies, biotechs, how do they work with them? One, they work with doctors on running clinical trials. So they use, they use H1 to find the right doctor to run their clinical trial, which is a very important and big question for them. Generally, they have hundreds of doctors running clinical trials all across the world and finding the right doctor that has diverse patients that knows how to run a successful clinical trial is a pretty hard question. So they use us to find the right doctor to run their clinical trials. 
And then they also need to educate doctors about their clinical trials. And they have a team called the medical affairs team that does that. And so they use Atron to find out which doctors should they educate, which doctors don't know about a certain therapy, who are the doctors that can change medical practice. So they use us for that. And then they eventually need to market to doctors. Drugs approved, it works. All right, who do I go market my drug to? And so really across the spectrum of which doctor to work with is how they how they use H1, uh, from medical device to pharma to biotech. On the insurance side of the house, it's different. Insurance companies need to answer one or two questions. One is which doctor should I insure? Is that good doctor or not? Insurance companies make money when uh, people are healthy, not on people that are sick. So they wanna find doctors that actually are good at their job. And then the second question is, as a, me and you, we use our insurance website to find doctors to go see. And so how do I showcase the relevant information to my members, just like people that use insurance website to find the right doctor to go see? And that's where we're used as well um, by insurance companies and digital health companies to for those two uh, areas. And then doctors use our product to learn about the latest science and medicine. So they come in, they read the latest scientific publications, and then they comment on it. The small subsets allow to comment on it. And then people read about that commentary. And they could also claim their H1 profile to update it so that it updates to all the other people using H1. So it's really everything you want to want, want to know about doctors. And, and that, those are a lot of our users. So it's interesting, right? I mean, I've been in this industry for forever, right? So a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I feel like, oh, I would go there and then I would go there and then I would, you know, go to different places to put these pieces together, right? So, you know, what makes H1 special? different, um, unique, that would change the, you know, the normal workflow of how I would do this through other methods? It's a good question. So it depends on the segment. Uh, we'll start with pharma. So if you're trying to find the right doctor to run a clinical trial, what's, what they used to might have done is go to clinicaltrials.gov. They might look in Google some stuff. They might look at press releases, their internal information. And that's how they used to do it. What that doesn't tell you and what H1 can tell you is what's the race, ethnicity, income level of their patients if you're trying to recruit diverse patients? How do they actually perform on that last clinical trial? Did they recruit patients or not? Can't get that publicly. So you have to come to H1 to answer those two questions. So it really transformed the way that they were doing it. On the medical affairs side, um, you could probably Google right now, best oncologist in Boston. Google best oncologist in Chennai. It's a lot harder to Google that, uh, or um, Mexico City, to, or in Costa Rica, or in um, Montreal might be easy. Saskatchewan, Canada, who's the best Who's the best pharmacist that understands HIV? Very hard questions globally. And so we really changed the game by having a global product that profiles every doctor in the world, about 10 million doctors in there. So it really helped with medical affairs in that sense. So. Okay, that's a, you know, because if I Google the best, I'm like, okay, this is so fraught with <laughs> like bias and other things. How do you guys, I mean, well, I guess, where's the data come from? Where do you find it? I mean, do you, you know, the natural question is, do you get it off websites and, you know, take it from there? Do you get it from your own proprietary source? And then how do you know the data is accurate? It's a good question. So we get it from... Oh, buckets and like themes of areas. One is public sources. Like you could go to mountsinai.com, New York, and find all the doctors that work in Mount Sinai. But all you're really going to get is their first name, last name, phone number, specialty. Like they're a psychiatrist in New York on the Upper East Side. Uh, okay, great. That's not enough. You want to know the types of patients that they see. 
Now you can get that information. You can get that from the government in the US and from insurance companies. So we purchase a lot of data as well. And then you wanna know, well, what does this person think about the latest science of medicine? Well, they come into H1 and they input that. So it's like, there's a community element to it as well as purchasing and partnership to partnerships, as well as pulling from public sources. You wanna know what they've published on, or you get that from PubMed. You wanna know what clinical trials they worked on, you get that from clinicaltrials.gov. You wanna know if they're tweeting, you get that from Twitter. You wanna know if they have a LinkedIn, you get that from LinkedIn. Like you get a whole range of different sources. So for one given doctor, hundreds of different sources coming in for that one doctor, I mean, mush it all together. Uh, in addition to that doctor coming in and updating their information, in addition to the community providing information, updating that, in addition to us purchasing information. So it's all that coming together about one doctor. Interesting. And so you're, there is a reliance on the doctor themselves or whatever, make, you know, helping make sure that the information is accurate. Doctors have, uh, they could, um, not the best at writing stuff sometimes. <laughs> and so uh, there's an element of it, but we don't always trust what the doctor inputs. Um, Sometimes people want to make themselves seem bigger or smaller than they really are. Maybe they're humble, maybe they're arrogant, who knows what. And so we yeah. still validate whatever comes in. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone Search for The Harry Glorickian Show and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds, but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now back to the show. So how's the data organized sort of under the hood? I mean, is it a giant graph database? Like you might be able to find, you know, at companies like Google or Facebook, you know, do you organize it in a way that helps users identify the right connections or maybe if they're, you know, trying to sell to them the right prospects? I mean, how, how have you thought about, because you're talking about a lot of different pieces of data coming together to answer very specific questions depending on the user. We are probably going to have the largest healthcare graph out there. Um, a lot of our data is in, a, in, a, in right now a graph, not all of it. We're trying to get more of it into the graph, uh, but it's really important. You want to know like, is this doctor work with this doctor? Does this doctor refer patients to this doctor? Uh, do these doctors go to medical school together? Do these doctors sit in the same medical society board? You want to know all these different relationships. This doctor is related to this hospital, which is part of this IDN, which is insured by these five payers and they have a partnership with this pharma company. And they're all relatable entities. Um, a lot of it is sitting in a graph. A lot of it's sitting in a relational database. We're pushing to put everything into the graph. And we think we will have the largest like graph healthcare information on doctors that exists out there. So I guess that now comes to, okay, you've got this, people are using it you know, what's the business model? Is it a 
subscription fee for access to HCP Universe and other tools? Uh, you know, are the fees scaled through the number of users at each company? Yeah. Uh, it's also it's always free for patients and doctors. Free for doctors, free for patients. I think that's good for the world, good for healthcare. Uh, and then it's an annual license. It's a subscription that pharma companies, biotechs, med device, med tech, and insurance companies and hospitals pay for. So they pay for it. Okay. And how do you know whether you're succeeding or not? You know, I read, you know, a statistic like seven of the ten, top 10 global pharma companies are customers of H1. But now how do you know about the rate of adoption that you're seeing and you know, how, how, how is the company doing overall? Success is a funny word. Uh, you can answer that financially. You can answer that spiritually. You can answer that in different, different, very different ways. Uh, so financially, we're doing well, but that's like a very shallow way to look at an organization. What we look at is more like each of our products have a mission and how well are we achieving our mission? So for example, our trial landscape products mission, by the end of 2024, Companies that use trial landscape have 50% more diverse patient populations enrolled in their clinical trial than ones that don't. Pfizer runs a clinical trial, BMS runs a clinical trial, BMS uses trial landscape, they have 50% more diverse patients. That's success in my eyes. They both pay us money or whatever, that's great. But if we achieve our mission, the finances will follow after. And so we look at the finance, the finance thing's important, obviously, but uh, we want the missions to be achieved first. Um, with Precise, we want 100 million patients to use H1 to find the right doctor to go see by the end of 2024. If we do that, I promise we'll make a ton of money, but I want to achieve that mission and make sure that we make a hundred million people's lives better and they feel healthier and they feel more informed when they're finding the right doctor to go see. So we, we look at our missions. Um, some of the products are driving really strongly towards the mission. Some of them are experiencing bumps along the road, um, but that, that's how I think about success. Yeah, every product. <laughs> it's impossible for every product to be successful. So, yeah, exactly. uh, but now, you know, the, one of the themes of the show is always like, you know, data, data analytics. And you guys have been making, at least from what I was reading, a big push to use more AI to find relationships in your healthcare provider data that might be, you know, hard to find otherwise. Um, can you talk about this, uh, not, you know, without it, you know, going into the secret sauce, but, you know, maybe what were the limitations of the HCP universe platform before you started applying more AI tools? You know, how does AI change the platform's capabilities? And then what are maybe an example or two of things users can find now that they couldn't do before? I don't, Yeah, that's, that's a question. lot, but. No, let's, let's, let's make it real. Let's go through an example. Let's say you're the CEO of AstraZeneca and you're launching a drug in HER2 triple negative breast cancer. In the US, there are called 15,000 medical oncologists that treat patients with breast cancer. Which ones should you talk to? That's a hard question. Uh, <laughs> it's just, that's a much smaller subset, so. And wait, uh, it gets even harder. You only have 50 medical science liaisons. So you have 50 people covering 10,000, 15,000 people to talk to. Which ones should you talk to? Okay, uh, H1 can now help you segment that. We could tell you who are the digital opinion leaders, the top publishers, the top clinical trialists, the people that see the most patients there, the treatment leaders, understand how to treat patients. It really, the, carved, the universe of who you want to talk to should really be carved out. Okay, great. You've identified a thousand people that you want your 50 medical science that I want to talk to. Uh, how should you talk to them? What do they care about? 
what do those doctors care about? All right, interesting. What activities, which conferences are they going to? How do you get in contact with them? Who are they connected to? How could we suggest different ways for you to engage with these healthcare professionals uh, with your 50 medical science liaison team? And so uh, we're able to personalize this information for them. Instead of just giving like an Excel spreadsheet of here's 15,000 oncologists, it's not so helpful. It's now personalized to every user. Uh, we do predictions for every user. Here's how, the best ways you should be engaging with them. Here's a new activity. Here's a new tweet. This is interesting. This doctor would be interested in learning about this. So you have personalization, you have predictions, and you have insights. Okay, here are the top 1,000 you're contacting, but here are the new fellows that just graduated. And here are the five that we think are going to be the new thought leaders in oncology and breast cancer. You should probably be engaging with them. So insights that you can't just get by looking at an Excel spreadsheet or something that you could Google. And so those are the ways that are, it was, it was not possible before, but you start to put in some of these technologies and it creates a whole different experience. Hell, I want that for my own network. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've, got, I've got a lot of people that I'm connected to that trying to keep track of everybody. So that, that would be useful for me. Uh, too bad, too bad it's not available. Like, so someone can upload their own network and do the same yeah, thing. The thing. There's actually a ton of information about doctors, which is why this becomes possible. I think it's harder when it's in different industries. So a few months ago, like I, I was talking to, uh, you know, local event CEO, Rohit, uh, who's, you know, an old friend of mine uh, on the show about clinical trial management. And you guys recently announced a partnership with them uh, where you're using their data to enhance your trial landscape product. So, you know, can you explain more about how H1 is, you know, being is used by customers planning clinical trials and what were the reasons for this partnership? You know, what value does Locavance data add to your product? Yeah, it's a good question. So let's say you worked at like Biogen, pick a pharma company. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to run a clinical trial in heart failure. How do you do that? You're literally going to go to clinicaltrials.gov and type in heart failure. So I'm going to show all the doctors that worked on heart failure in all around the world. Uh, you have absolutely no way of knowing if they were good or bad. So take a, the, you're going to look at Novartis clinical trial and heart failure, and you're going to see they have 50 doctors that worked on it. You're not going to know which ones actually recruited patients, which ones violated protocols, which ones did well or did poorly, which ones were complete, knocked it out of the park. None of that information is available to you. Um, H1 has started building a network of this type of information of how well a doctor performed on a clinical trial. And Locavant is one of our partners to supply some more of that information to H1. It is mm -hmm. critical to the industry. It's like the backbone of, imagine now, instead of having to search on clinicaltrials.gov, I could go and give you access to H1, which will tell you every single doctor that's ever worked in a heart failure clinical trial and who succeeded and who failed and how they succeeded and how they failed. Uh, probably want to use that instead of clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, and so Locavant is one of our partners because they have some of this information for about, about 2,000 clinical trials where they have this information for. And so we partnered with them to showcase that in H1. And we do this with other pharma companies and CROs as well. But they're one of our key partners in doing this. And so it's a good partnership with Rockvent and Locavant. Yeah, I've been I've been on the other side where you know the company has picked a site and it just blew it, um, and it's it's devastating to a startup company, right? Trying to move a product along if if something like that happens. So if this makes that easier, then I should be telling all of our you know 
all of our startups that they should be using this to mitigate that uh, that issue. Um, but you know, talking about clinical trials, you've been talking a lot about how customers, you know, use this data for diversity. And you were mentioning that as one of the goals of the company earlier. Can you, I guess, talk about the specific problems that are needed, you know, solving in this realm? And, you know, how is it that your data, you know, makes that difference, drives that change? Yeah, it's a good question. So, Historically, so over the past 20 years, um, having a diverse set of patients and gender and age and race and ethnicity and income level and communities was a nice to have, not a must have for pharma companies that were running clinical trials. Um, I would say since George Floyd happened, the murder of George Floyd a couple of years ago now, um, that's changed. Since then, the FDA has released guidance saying they want to see a diversity plan with every single clinical trial that gets submitted to them. It's a really key milestone that the FDA did. We think, and I think a lot of people think that's going to become a requirement and not just guidance anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it uh, it became a nice to have to a, okay, we're spending $100 million on this clinical trial. We need one. Like we need a diversity plan. And so this is really hard though. It's very hard for a pharma company to recruit one patient let alone a diverse patient into their clinical trial. And they had no information to do so. What we have is the race, the ethnicity, the income level, and the education level of 98% of Americans and mapped onto a physician. So you can see for a given physician, given doctor, um, what's the race of the patients they see? What's the gender? What's the income? What's their background? What community are they from? Everything you want to know. So when you are looking to recruit physicians and doctors and patients into a clinical trial, that you're actually hitting a diverse uh, population. This is critical. Uh, COVID, different communities didn't trust the vaccine. There's not trust in our healthcare system. If we start to engage different communities, low, middle-income communities in America and globally, that will build more trust into the healthcare system and make sure that drugs are created for, medicines created for all and not just a subset of us. Um, and so uh, we think it's, we like the mission of it and we think it's important and um, we will, um, and we see it happening now. And we think it, it really started like two years ago. It must be, you know, I was just thinking like, man, I would probably have fun just poking around in there just to see how, you know, how the data looks, right? I mean, uh, visually just across the U.S., I'm sure that just looking at it, you'd see patterns that would emerge from that. It is it is really cool to look at it. It's it's not super unexpected. Certain doctors in certain communities see certain types of patients because that's where people live. So it's it's pretty mapped, pretty identical to like how census data looks in the U.S. Um, and we do this globally, but in the U.S. it looks pretty similar to census data, or how you would think, um, where different people live. Yeah, but it's it's funny, right? I mean, sometimes people think certain things or have a hypothesis, and then there's like you show them really what's going on. And, ah, yeah, <laughs> it actually does look like this. That you know, and uh, or we can dig into it. And it, it adds some insight to it. So, um, you know, I, it was great having you on the show. I, I, you know, I don't. Hopefully, I didn't leave any questions out that you know you would want to get out there. Uh, so. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to throw uh, in there? No, this was really good. I, I really appreciate the questions you asked. They're insightful. 
Uh, hopefully I provided some clarity about what we do. Uh, it's This is funny. This is like a problem that people have solved and they feel like the solution is good enough, but we know it's not good enough at all for anybody, even though you could solve in different ways. Like in two to four years, everybody is going to be like, how did I live without H1 and knowing who's the right doctor for me to work with and go see? Oh, we were crazy beforehand. Just like if I'm trying to drive now from New York to Boston, I'm not going to use a piece of paper as my map. Be crazy. I wouldn't even know where the traffic patterns. I wouldn't know where there's an accident. I have to use Google Maps or Waze. I think it's going to be a similar type of experience in two to four years. Yeah. I mean, if I would, if I could have my wish, right. And, and maybe you guys do have this and I just don't know. It is like, you know, the proficiency data of the docs. Quality scores. Right? We're working on that now. How, how good is this doctor doing a hip replacement? And, you know, I've talked to CEOs of hospitals and they're like, oh, we're, we're doing that all the time. I'm like, do you publish that? They're like, no, 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 no. That's, that's for internal training. We don't, we don't. And I'm like, look, there's a bell curve of doctors. I really want to know the guys at the upper end of the bell curve. Like, don't send me to the guy at the bottom of the bell curve. Um, but it's they, you know, they're very close to the vest on that data, and that I think would make a huge difference in outcomes for patients. It will, and that is something that we're working on and launching next year, both looking at it at a hospital and at a doctor level. So, is UPMC or is Mount Sinai better or worse at doing a knee replacement than Duke? Who has better patient outcomes, Duke or Yale Cancer Center? Which doctors are good at treating patients with cancer? That's what everyone needs to know, uh, pharma companies and patients, and all of us want to know that. That would be huge. That would be a big game changer. Okay, let's put it this way. It would be a game changer if patients have the information. I agree. They're going to get it from us via their insurance websites. That's awesome. I mean, I look for, I'm, 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 I'm sold. I'm going to, I'm going to start using it myself. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish you guys great success. I think this is great information that needs to get out there to the average person. I think it would big, make a big difference in their outcomes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I thank you for having me on the podcast. It was great. Excellent. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglorikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.